He knows that as much as we know we should pray, as much as we desire to pray, that we are in constant need of continuing education, continuing training or coaching in the life of prayer as we approach God's throne of grace boldly by the cross. talking um, this week, that should say lesson two, typo, my fault, uh, again in our series, Back to the School of Prayer, about how to pray for the people of God. Um, I have a friend, I had a friend, well I have a friend, uh, and I'm just going to call him Greg, that's not his real name, but I'm going to call him Greg, and Greg was a man who was passionate about the truth He was passionate about scripture. He was passionate about Jesus. He was passionate about the Lord. And um, Greg was married to to, uh, his wife, and uh, I'll call her Abby. And Greg and Abby uh, were going to pray together one night at home. And uh, and Greg, being the intense spiritual person that he was, uh, told Abby that he wanted to pray together. And, uh, and, and she said, that's a great idea. I'd love, I'd love to spend a few minutes praying together. So, so Greg, he, he really wanted to be real, like, real spiritual. So he's like, you know, we, we got we to gotta get on our knees. You know, we got to get on our knees. We got to pray. You know, we got to get before the Lord and, and get on our knees. And, and she was like, well, I mean, we could, but well, couldn't we just like sit at the kitchen? We're already at the kitchen table. Couldn't we just pray at the kitchen table? And just sit here and pray. And he's like, no, 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 no. We got to be, we got to be, we got to be on our knees. And she's like, well, I just don't understand, like, why we can't just pray here at the table. And Greg, Greg started getting really upset. And he was, like, frustrated. And, and Abby, she was confused. She, she's like, why does his, you know, why is he so concerned with the, the physical posture of, of his, his position rather than his heart's disposition? Like, can't we pray anywhere? And, and they started to, to, to fight and, uh, and they got in a pretty good little argument uh, to the point where uh, Greg uh, literally cussed and was like, forget it, more, in a more colorful, uh, colorful way than that. And, uh, and we've all been there. Now, you might say, oh, I've never been there. I've never cussed at the kitchen table because I wanted to kneel in prayer. But we've all been there in this sense. We've been there in the, in the sense that we know we should pray and we maybe have a desire to pray But there are obstacles in the way of our life of prayer. And those obstacles may be little obstacles. Those may be large obstacles. But we know that our attempts and desire to pray is often met with resistance of one form or another. And what Jesus knows is Jesus knows just this. He knows that as much as we know we should pray, as much as we desire to pray, that we are in constant need of continuing education, continuing training or coaching in the life of prayer as we approach God's throne of grace boldly by the cross. So Jesus, as, as he prays for his disciples in John 17, at the, at the tail end of this last night, he spends with them and he spent hours with them. He's Remember in John 13, washed their feet and demonstrated this radical 
act of service and how they should love one another as he's going to love them, not just in washing their feet, but in washing away their sin by giving his life, his blood for them as he's executed on the cross. And he shares his heart with them in chapters 13 and 14, 15 and 16. And now he stops speaking to them and he starts speaking to the father. But he he does it so that they can listen in and overhear because as he's praying, he's not just praying for them, he's also training them. He's coaching them, he's teaching them in how to approach the Father, how to pray. We saw last week, lesson one in the school of prayer was to pray for the glory of God in John 17, verses one through five. Lesson two, like I said, this should say, lesson two is to pray for the people of God, to pray for the people of God. I'm pressing the button. There we go. Okay. Um, And so we're going to read this scripture together, and then I'm going to pray, and uh, and then we're going to learn together about how to pray for the people of God. So let's read this scripture. Jesus continues in prayer, and he says, I have revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and I have kept And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given is from you. Because I have given them the words you gave me. They have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me because they're yours. Everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Now I am coming to you and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they may also be sanctified by the truth. Will you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, And by your spirit, would you help us to see here what you want us to see? To see how to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, both in our local church, sitting next to us, in front of us, or behind us, or maybe someone not here this week. And to pray for your global church, our brothers and sisters around the world. Lord, I pray that you would shape us According to your will and your ways. Help me to say exactly what you want me to say, that I wouldn't say anything I shouldn't say. If there's anything I've prepared to say that I don't need to say, that your spirit would edit it out, and that if there's something I need to say that I haven't thought to say, that your spirit would 
Give me the insight to say it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This week we're talking about how to pray for the people of God. Jesus is really obsessed with the people of God. You know, because sometimes Christians in in the American church, um, they think church is like nice, but sort of optional. So the church is sort of like, that's an important part of your spiritual life, but not the critical part of your spiritual life. Well, Jesus doesn't look at things that way. In fact, Jesus is passionate for the church. His heart beats for the church. The the scripture says, Acts 20, 28, that he purchased the church with his own blood. That, That Ephesians 3, 10 says the church is what displays the glory of God in the world. And Jesus gave his life so that those, whether they were Jew or Greek or male or female or slave or free or rich or poor or black or white or old or young or Republicans or Democrats, that whoever would turn from their sin and trust in him would be forgiven of their sin, given eternal life, and united to Christ and to one another in this new family called the church. And in this this prayer here in John 17, he spends the most amount of time praying for the church, the people, the disciples that that are directly in front of him in that present moment, his disciples. He spends the most time praying for the present people of God. He prays for the glory of God first. He turns upward, literally and figuratively, to pray first for the name of God. That is the first priority of prayer, not our needs, but God's name. But then he spends a ton of time focusing in on the disciples who are right in front of him. And I think in this, we see a lesson in how to pray for the present people of God. That is the church, both our own local church and the the global church around the world. So we're going to see six ways to pray for the people of God. And the first way is this, to pray for the people of God for their obedience. Look what he says there. In verse 6, he says, I've revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now, here, here we see that obedience follows revelation or hearing and seeing who Jesus is. And that revelation follows election. It says, you gave them to me from the world. That They were chosen by you before the foundation of the world so that they would be the ones who would receive my revelation and they would receive my revelation so that they would hear it and respond in repentance and faith. That at some point, God the Trinity has appointed those who would hear the gospel and respond by the power of the Spirit to turn from their sin and trust in Christ, to repent and to believe. They are given to Christ. He says, you, I've revealed your name to the people you gave me from the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Leslie Newbegin says, between the church and the world lies a boundary line, which is called conversion. This is what Jesus is talking about. Conversion is a life U-turn, a change and radical reorientation of your life, a new principle of life inside of a person in which their former spiritual death has yielded to spiritual life by the power of the Holy Spirit, such that when they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, who was God, the God-man, sinless in his life, perfect in his death, 
buried and raised from the dead, that when they hear that and hear that if they will turn away from their sin and trust in him, they will be forgiven of their sin and given eternal life. They're given the, 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 the sense from the spirit, the hope from the spirit, the, the, the power from the spirit to do just that, to turn from their sin and trust in Jesus Christ so that they can keep his word and keep the father's word. Hebrews 3, 6 says, Christ was faithful as a son over his household. And we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. So if you're going to pray for your church, and I hope you will, if you're going to pray for the global church, and I hope you will, remember to pray for obedience, that the church would hear the word of the Lord and follow it. Next, we see that he prays for the people of God. He prays for faith. He prays for faith. Look there at verse 7. He says, Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, because I have given them the words you gave me. You, excuse me, they have received them and have known for certain that I came from you. They have believed that you sent me. Notice here, Remember, I said to pray, I said to pray for faith. But Jesus starts out by talking about knowledge. Now they know everything you have given. They have received the word you have given to me. And that's because faith is, is and, and, but then notice where he goes with this. He says, They have received the words you gave me and have known for certain, known, again, know, verse 7, know, verse 8, and known for certain that I came from you. They have believed. They've believed. So as we said a couple of weeks ago, the basis of Christian knowledge is faith that we seek to know by believing. We don't seek to believe by knowing. That unless we believe, we will never understand. Remember we talked about fides quarens intellectum, fides quarens, and getting a tattoo on your forearm. We talked about that, that faith seeks understanding. John Calvin said that nothing which relates to God can be known rightly but by faith. But in faith, there is such certainty that you can rightly call it knowledge. So our faith is so sure that we know for certain that this is truth. Jesus says in John 6, 29, that the work of God is to believe the one he has sent. So I hope at some point in your day, you think about someone in your church and you think about that you know, person, oh, you know, Bob, who sits behind me, so-and-so who sits next to me, or, you know, and you think of them, they come to your mind. And instead of just saying, oh, I wonder if they're okay, I wonder, yeah, I think your first thought should be, you know what, I'm going to pray for them. And one of your first thoughts in prayer, if you don't know what to pray, you're like, I actually, to be honest with you, you're like, I don't even really know their name for sure. Like, I think it's Susie, but I'm not quite sure. But God knows their name. And if you don't know what they need, well, first of all, that's a good opportunity on Sunday after the service when we say don't run out and rush to your car 
to get to know them a little bit. But even if you don't know exactly what they need, here is for sure what they can use, and that is an increase in faith. If someone you know is suffering, pray for faith. Pray for them to be able to trust God in the midst of their suffering. If someone that you know is prospering and and life is just gangbusters, pray for God to give them faith to trust him and not their success. When you think of your church, think, Lord, grant them faith. When you think of the global church and Christians throughout the world who suffer, remember we talked last week about unreached peoples and the Joshua Project and talk about the persecuted church. Pray for faith. Third, pray for unity. Pray for unity. Look what he says there in verse 9 um, through 12. That's really the whole, the whole screen here is... Uh, is this section. He says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me because they are yours. Everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I was protecting them by your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction, so that the scripture may be fulfilled. Here we find Jesus for the first time there, those first two words, saying, I pray. Literally, I ask. He doesn't pray for the world. He prays for his people. He is the mediator of his people's needs. He's the mediator between God and men between God and humanity. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. And what does he pray for? Notice what he prays for. He prays that he would be glorified in them, that is for their sanctification, and that the Father would protect them by his name. He prays for sanctification, and he prays for protection. But notice the purpose of both. Verse 11, so that they may be one. So that they may be one. Protection, provision, the truth of God, all of these things are serving the purposes of God and one of the purposes of God and one of the heartbeats of God for his local churches and his global church is for unity. He wants local churches to be internally united. He wants Cross United to be united. Like we believe in that so much, we like name the church after it. Like the Cross and United, like those are our things. Well, that's why we named the church that. He wants local churches to be internally united. He wants the church globally to be united. It seems so far away and so impossible. As as churches, I mean, you just, across the landscape, churches experience people leaving for good reasons and maybe not so good reasons. For job transfers and differences over COVID and masking, for politics as much as for theology. And, and, and we look around and there's false teachers multiplying like jackrabbits all across 
the, the spectrum of the church and, and you can find crazy stuff online and you can find crazier stuff in, in some churches. And it seems like the idea of a united church is impossible to achieve. And, 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 and we see this and we see that Jesus though, Jesus' heart, Jesus' heart is for a united church. For a church that's united by something bigger than political affiliation, that's united by something bigger than the fact that, like, I grew up in the 80s, so I know what a cassette tape is, or I have young kids, or I'm a Gen, Gen Xer, or I'm a baby boomer, or I'm, you know, have a, have a historic uh, background ethnically in the, in the Latino culture, or whatever it is that Jesus is calling his church to be united across anything that would divide them, because there's something that transcends those realities, and that is the gospel and he says that they may be one how as we are one as that somehow the church would reflect the reality of the trinity itself in its unity but sometimes sometimes people do leave the, now sometimes people leave and they're not like leaving the faith they're just you know they move they go they move you know they move to port st Lucie. it's like well it's not like they're a heretic because they moved to port st i mean i I personally would think someone's probably, if they moved to Port St. Lucie, may, maybe. You know, no, I'm just kidding. Um, of course, people, people may say that about us in South Florida, where we're in the path of hurricanes every, every you know, two weeks, it seems like, these days. Someone's not a heretic or, or a false teacher or, or astray for those reasons, but people do go astray in real ways. And Jesus talks about that here. Look at verse 12. He says, while I was with them, I was protecting them by your name, that you have given me. I guarded them and not one of them is lost except the son of destruction, the son of perdition. And literally the, the word there for lost, I'm trying to move out of the way so you can see it. I know it's on the screen too. The word here for lost and the word for destruction are based in the same original Greek word. So literally it says not one has been destroyed except the son of destruction. Or not one has been lost except the son of lostness. So he's saying that sometimes, sometimes there are those who leave the faith and try to take others with them. And of course, who's he talking about here? He's talking about Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot, who D.A. Carson, the great New Testament scholar, says is a horrible precursor belonging to the same genus as the eschatological son man this is a terrible i shouldn't have put this quote in my it's like so is basically it is a type of the antichrist that's what in between judas and then we get to the end of time second thessalonians 2 3 the son of destruction exact same phrase used talking about the antichrist in the interim period between that there will be people who try to lead the sheep astray first john 2 19 addresses this it says they went out from us but they did not belong to us for if they had belonged to us they would have remained with us however they went out so it might be clear that none of them belongs to us there's this, there's this epidemic in, in uh, evangelical circles in these days, and it is this, this process that people call deconstructing the faith. And there's been like so many well-known cases. Uh, most uh, notably, at least recently, uh, Joshua Harris, the guy who wrote the book I Kiss Dating Goodbye, uh, last year, 
think it was last year, posted a post on Instagram of him, like, he's, like, overlooking this lake in this, like, serene, like, northwestern, like, wilderness setting, saying, like, he's out, out basically outgrown his, his Christian faith, and he no longer believes. And then this week it came out that Joshua Harris was offering an online class where you could pay $275 for five sessions on the process of deconstructing your faith. And um, he was offering, now he was offering it to, he said, anyone who feels they've been hurt by my ministry in the past um, can do this for free. But there was so much pushback and so much outrage and eye rolling that he actually took, you know, thankfully took the, this online course down. He said only four, most people chose the free option because people are cheap and they don't want to pay. And only a few people had wanted to pay. But this is where we're at. We're at this place where people are so disoriented and so confused that they're willing to pay someone $300 to tell them why they shouldn't be a Christian. And how do we respond in the midst of this? We trust in God's sanctification and his protection to keep us united in the truth. So pray for the church little clicker thing. There we go. For unity. All right. Next. Pray. Pray for joy. There we go. Um, I feel like I'm doing a TED Talk when I hold this thing. You guys have seen the TED Talk? Verse 13. I'm coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy completed in them. Um, Christ is obsessed with your joy. Jesus doesn't just want you to follow him. Jesus wants you to follow him with such joy that the people around you are like, what's up with that weirdo? Like Chris Traeger from Parks and Rec. Anyone seen Parks and Rec? Rob Lowe's character? Man, this, this is just, I wasn't planning on this illustration. And apparently it's not from the Holy Spirit because nobody seems to be tracking. Rob Lowe's character on Parks and Rec, and he's this relentlessly positive guy. And he's like so happy all the time. And he tries to dump this girl on the show. And he's so positive about it, she doesn't even realize she got dumped because he's just so obnoxiously joyful all the time. How much more so should Christians be filled with joy? John, Jesus says in John 15, 11, I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. John 16, 24, until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. I don't know about you, but I know, I know a lot of Christians. I've been, I've been a Christian a lot of my life. I've been in the church a lot of my life, um, I've been a pastor, you know, since 2009, went to seminary, been in ministry, and there are a lot of ways I would describe Christians, but the top five would not be joy. We have, if you think, think of a joyful Christian, can you think of one? And I say that, you might be able to think of one, but you can't think of a lot of them. You can think of Christians and faithful Christians, you can think of solid Christians, but think of a joyful Christian. I, there's some folks, a couple folks that just jump in my mind as just joyful followers of Jesus. 
man, I want that so much to be my story. I'm not a joyful person. Like, I'm pretty grumpy. Like, I'm, I'm, Lord, we're already worried. Like, we're worried because I'm 40, and I'm already a grumpy old man. Like, and it's just, it's going to just get worse and worse and worse. And pretty soon I'm going to be like Walter Matthau in that old movie, Grumpy Old Men. I'm just going to be grumpy, grumpy, grumpy. But I don't want that to be my story. I want to be full of joy like Christ has prayed that I would be. And I hope you want that for yourself as well. So pray for the church for joy. Next, pray for the people of God for protection. Look there, verses 14 and 15. He says, I have given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Here's the thing. The word estranges Christians from the world. Let me say it again. The word estranges Christians from the world. The word of God will make you strange to the world around you. If you are engaging with the word of God, the world will bristle at you. You will believe things the world doesn't believe. You will do things the world doesn't think you should do. And you will not do things the world has no problem with doing. The word will estrange you from the world. But Jesus doesn't want to take you out of the world. He's not trying to deliver you in this moment from the world. What he's praying for, for his disciples, and then by extension, what I think he wants for us as well, is that not that he would take them out of the world, but that we would be protected from evil and the evil one. Because he has a mission for us. He doesn't want to take us out of the world any more than a good commanding officer wants to take his troops out of a battle where they're needed. One one, uh, commentator says, while it's not their eternal home, the earth is the location of their mission, the disciples' mission, the place where God is still at work through them. The desire of Christians to remove themselves from the world is actually out of step with the purposes and the plan of God. The church is neither to withdraw from the world nor partake in the world, but to be the spirit-filled dwelling of God in the world. The late, great Chuck Colson started a ministry called Prison Fellowship, uh, said that the church should be against the world for the world, contra mundum pro mundo. The church should be against the world for the sake of the world. Salt and light. So pray, pray for the church, pray for Cross United, pray for the global church to be a church, to be a church that is set on, that, that is a church that is set on mission and, is, and, and that is protected as it sets out on mission. Finally, pray for the people of God for holiness. For holiness. Verses 17 through 16 through 19. They, the disciples, are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them, so that they also may be sanctified. By the truth. Some, you know, some teachers, some churches, some kind of tribes, they're kind of like all about like truth. Like 
oh, we believe the truth. We don't compromise the truth. And you know, other groups, they're all like, they're more like about unity. They're like, yeah, let's get together as one, be united. And I think if you ask Jesus which one he wants, do you, does he want his church to be a people of truth or a people of unity? He would say yes. Because the truth, the truth that sanctifies us also unites us in holiness not just to be set apart from the world, but to be sent out into the world. To be set apart means to be set apart from the world's values, as one, one writer says, but also to be set apart for a holy task. One writer says that this is a consecration or a dedication for a holy task. That we're not, sanctification is not sitting on top of a pillar in the lotus position where you can't sin anymore. Sanctification is being able to enter into the darkest places in our neighborhoods and in the nations and be able to bring light without being stained by the darkness. Sanctification and holiness for the church is a church that is relentlessly committed to the mission of God, that knows that there are greater things still to come in this city. There are greater things yet to be done and says we will not rest, we won't give up until we see the mission of God accomplished through us in this generation without compromising the gospel, but preaching the gospel. So pray for the people of God. Pray for the people of God. So what now? Let's see that one. I jumped ahead. Um, remember, these are, these are not like the new Ten Commandments. These are just ideas. Um, get a list of every person in our church and pray through it. And, uh, you know, our, our church isn't that big. You can probably, like, the list wouldn't be that long. Um, it wouldn't be that hard to do. I have an index card. And I have the names of every family in our, on our church in our church on that index card. And I try to pray through that. And I've been trying to do that consistently, especially since uh, COVID hit and just kind of shepherd our church through prayer. Um, but get a, get a list. If you want that list, I, I can get you a list. And, uh, and I'll give you names. And you can pray. Pray for your church. Make an index card. Make a note. Set reminders. Whatever works for you. Uh, Another one, um, take one, there's, so there's six themes here. There's six things to pray for the people of God. And, and so take one, and, and each day, just, just take a few minutes and pray for Cross United. And then you can pray for maybe church where your kids go, or your, your parents go, or, or some other connection. Pray, pray for that church. Pray, pray for the church. For these, these things that we, we have seen that Jesus, Jesus prioritizes. Lord, may, th may, may, may this church obey you and the people in this church obey you. May, may you fill the people in this church with, with faith. Lord, will you, will you unite this church? Will you put joy in the heart of this church? Will you protect this church? Will you sanctify this church? And then on Sundays, just do pray all six, because Sunday is the, the Lord's day after all. Pray for the people of God for these things. Um, early in COVID, I, uh, I had this sense, um, you know, but early when everything, everything was shut down, you couldn't, you know, it's like no one was really going anywhere, no one was doing anything. Like every church 
pretty much in the region was just online and couldn't meet with people. And, and I, I, I read something early on just talking about the way this was an opportunity to, to learn how to pray again. And I'm not like some ninja warrior prayer, but really the last 18 months have probably been some of the most consistent and intentional uh, times of prayer that I've had, you know, cer- certainly um, in, in many, many years. And then I, I kind of felt like this season was like, a, like my own little school of prayer. And then it kind of hit me this week. And I, I read this, this quote from Eugene Peterson where he says that um, we need to be immersed in an environment in which our capacities are reduced to nothing or nearly nothing, and we are at the mercy of God to shape his will in us. And what I kind of realized is, is that, you, you know that phrase, you know, we've not yet begun to fight. I think as a church, we need to recapture the spirit of we have not yet begun to pray. Because the our strategies, like, like I, I've sat in so many church strategy meetings. And, and, and I'm sorry, I'm going to use a word that some of you are not going to like. Church strategies suck. They do not accomplish the mission of God. Now, they do something. Strategy is good. Like some, some things happen, but God is not going to move powerfully in our generation and in our region and in our nation and in this world simply in response to a strategy. What he wants is his people on their knees in prayer or at the kitchen table in prayer. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, um, by your spirit, I just ask that you would impress this into our hearts by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.